Afternoon, everyone. This is Brad Reback with uh, the Stiefel Equity Research Team on the software side. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, just a quick housekeeping note. Uh, online uh, in the chat, you can uh, send questions if you have any for management, or if you don't have access, please feel free to email me at rebackb at stiefel.com. Uh, with us today from Mongo is uh, Michael Gordon, COO and CFO. Mike, Michael, thanks very much for joining us. No, happy to. Thank you. Uh, thanks for hosting us virtually here. Our, our pleasure. Maybe we could start a, a, at the top for those who may be newer to the story. If you could just uh, sort of juxtaposition Mongo's NoSQL solution versus you know what I would call legacy SQL databases from the likes of uh, Microsoft and Oracle. You know, why, why do customers move in this direction? Yeah, sure. So if we just take a step back, I think for investors who are newer to the space, and certainly we recognize that there aren't, you know, 10 different companies you can invest in uh, publicly traded uh, database companies, you're probably not spending enormous amounts of time thinking about uh, our area, our slice of the software ecosystem, but it's, it's, it's one of the largest in, in all of software, uh, growing from 60 plus billion today to closing in on $100 billion uh, over the next couple of years. And one of the reasons why the market is so large and so strategic is a databases at the heart of every application. And so if you think about the phrases that you hear, like software is eating the world or every company trying to become a technology company, those are, those are catchphrases that get this idea that companies are increasingly competing with each other and for customers on the basis of their technology and really what that means is the basis of their software applications and so the database which is the heart of every software application uh is really really quite strategic and quite central which is why the market's extraordinarily large but still growing uh growing quite rapidly and so the, i think the key thing in terms of sort of you know us versus the incumbents with mongodb as the leading modern general purpose database uh is really better equipped to handle the volume and was really built for sort of the scale of you know, being digital first, cloud first, um, all those kinds of things. And when you think about the, the volume and variety uh, of data today, um, that's not really what the relational database was built for, right? The relational database was built for the efficiency uh, of storing data back, you know, in the, in the 70s when data was incredibly expensive and so you needed to store it in the most optimally efficient fashion. Uh, today, uh, what's precious uh, is a developer's time, right? Developers are, are the scarcest uh, resource and extraordinarily, um, you know, uh, competitive both, both to attract them, uh, but also costly in terms of deploying them. And so uh, developers love MongoDB because it's easy and intuitive to build this. They don't have to spend all the time sort of translating um, to the relational format. And it's one of the reasons why for the last four years in a row now, we've been um, voted the most popular uh, database, database developers most want to work with uh, uh, in the Stack Overflow survey that they do. So hopefully that's a little bit of, of backdrop and, and context that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, maybe you can dig in a little bit into the Atlas business. Uh, you, you guys were... Uh, I'd say one of the earliest to uh, understand this vision of what I would call consumption-based uh, uh, infrastructure as a service. So what motivated the company to move so quickly there and, and where do you stand today? 
Yeah, no, thanks for that, Brad. So yeah, for, so just from a, a product terminology standpoint and everything else, just so people are, are leveled, we um, sell two main uh, packages, uh, Enterprise Advance, which is MongoDB, and an annual recurring subscription uh, that customers are, are managing in their own environment and, and self-hosting or deploying, uh, as well as MongoDB Atlas, which is our database as a service offering, so a fully managed offering. Uh, and to the comment that Brad's making about three years ago, we launched MongoDB Atlas as one of the first, you know, non first database and service offerings not provided by one of the cloud players. Uh, and what we saw, both from developers as well as the the forward trends of of, um, of, of where software development was going to go, was the increasing public adoption over the cloud. Now we're still relatively early on in that adoption cycle, especially in large enterprises. Um, but we deployed MongoDB Atlas uh, first on AWS uh, and then thereafter on Google uh, and and, uh, and Azure, uh, and so it's available on any of the cloud platforms, uh, any of the major cloud platforms, and we've more recently signed a deal with Alibaba in China, uh, where the, whereby they are offering uh, MongoDB as a service in China and paying us uh, for that. Um, and so I think it, it, it's really just because we're close to the developer, because we understand how applications are getting built, uh, we saw that opportunity and we saw that need and that would emerge over time and we've continued to invest um, in that. And I would say, you know, over time, uh, we've tended to introduce innovation first. So last year at our, our user conference, our, our big annual user conference is happening, uh, kicking off tomorrow, uh, obviously virtually, normally it's uh, a physical presence and we were looking forward to doing it in New York, uh, but had to move and pivot to doing a a global now virtual event, uh, which starts uh, tomorrow and, and goes for two days. Um, and, you know, last year we introduced, you know, some new products uh, into beta uh, that we introduced first in an Atlas context, right? And so as we continue to go on, uh, as we've continued to evolve, we've continued to want to have the, the Atlas cloud database as a service, consumption as a service uh, model really leading because we think that's where, you know, in that's where companies are going. That's where developers are going. That's where people are focused. Uh, and so we've increasingly said that will be sort of the innovation um, vanguard for us. Uh, and it, it's smart for all the obvious reasons, but I think it's also sort of intelligent for some reason that may be a little less obvious. Um, when you think about the R&D dollar and the R&D investment that we're making, which is, is you know, significant, um, we've had a good track record um, but anything you can do to increase um, the intelligence or, or the likelihood of a high ROI and then investment dollar is valuable. And so the great thing about um, releasing, you know, cloud software is we can get real-time feedback, right? We can see right away uh, which services, which features are driving engagement. We can focus and optimize on those, iterate. Uh, whereas if you're doing an annual release cycle, um, you have to take a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more of uh, some guesswork or a little less, um, you know, real-time feedback that you can react to. And so I think it's incrementally been smart, not just in terms of the trends and where the market's going, but in terms of making sure that we're getting the highest bang out of our R&D investment. And on that latter point, I know last year at, at your analyst day around the user conference, you started talking more about that, uh, what I call the uh, – virtual circle uh, or the cloud virtual 
virtuous circle. You know, continual feedback improves the product, improves customer support, and, and improves the sales process. As it relates to where you are as an organization today, embracing all that and really being able to take advantage of that, how far along are you in that journey? Yeah, so we've we we've definitely you know saw the early opportunity and have continued to invest in that. I think we've seen some early signs, uh, but still have work to do. So an example of the early signs that I'd point to is if you look at the first quarter results that we just released last week, um, you saw a meaningful uptick in customer count and in customer additions. I think some of that is reflective, uh, not just of the the general, you know, secular and other trends of which we are beneficiary. But I think there's also um, a reflection of the fact that we're starting to get better uh, at kind of what I'll call the, the self-serve DNA, right? The company, um, you know, from a go-to-market perspective, had focused more on enterprise sales historically. And the self-serve DNA was sort of not, was newer to us. And I think we're starting to see uh, the fruits of our investments and the fruits of our labor was there show up in numbers like that. But I think there's still more work that we can do, more work uh, around harnessing that intelligence or that virtuous you know, circle that you're describing where you can actually see you know, historically um, when someone has downloaded a free version of MongoDB before becoming a paying customer, um, we didn't have much insight uh, into uh, who they were, how they were using the product, et cetera, right? They just downloaded the free version, whether it be from our website or somewhere else. Uh, and then when they needed the commercial features when they went into production, uh, that's when we'd enter into a relationship. Today with Atlas, you now sign up for the free tier uh, where you can have that, that free tier managed as a service for you. The free tier is relatively, you know, it, it's a finite amount of utility, obviously. You're not going to run large production applications with it. Um, but you, when we have customers in the free tier, we can see how they're using it, right? We can, we can see the individual behaviors. We can see that they've just turned on backup or maybe they've just done something else. And, and, and that would be a good catalyst to either inform them more via tutorial or webinar, or maybe what they've done is a, is a high enough indicator uh, of intent that it's worth spending the time and money to have someone go talk to them. Uh, or reach out to them, and we now have their contact information because they've registered, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so I think we're, we've, we've, we've made investments in there. We will continue to make investments in there. We've seen, you know, initial early successes, but I think we, we still have more to go, you know, in our path for sort of fully realizing the opportunities set there. Got it. And, and you brought up last week's uh, earnings report, which was obviously strong across the board, but you were fairly transparent that you did see a slow a, a very modest slowdown in Atlas growth during the, the latter part of the quarter. So the question is, what makes the cloud database market different than other cloud services? So, you know, if you think about Datadog and, and Twilio, both showed really strong uh, sort of benefits from COVID. What makes that cloud da database market a little different than those types of solutions? Yeah, I'd, I'd say a couple things. I think it speaks generally to the to the market overall uh, for databases, so they, they they tend to be not as monolithic or enterprise wide. So meaning that you know, 
uh, an organization can have thousands, and if it's, a, if it's a large application, tens of thousands, if not more, um, applications that it's running. Whereas if you have a, a particular, you know, cloud system, a CRM, a GL, whatever it might be, you tend to have one and you run it enterprise wide. Um, and so unlike a um, uh, unlike like a Zoom or a Slack, who's maybe seeing a, a strong enterprise pivot. They're benefiting from the enterprise-wide usage, and then so that's what's driving up the, the, the engagement or adoption. Uh, I think the thing about databases is there is a cycle time, right, between when you say, I want to go build an application, then you deploy it, and then you have the consumption. Um, there's just a, a gestation period uh, that, that happens or, or takes place. Um, and so I think that, you know, we are a beneficiary of all these trends um, that we've described, and, and our confidence has only increased from a long-term perspective. I just don't think that there's quite the fast-twitch reflex um, that drives database consumption. The other thing specifically as it relates to uh, our commentary around uh, the second-half um, uh, impact of COVID uh, on consumption uh, is worth spending a few minutes on, and so maybe I'll just take a step back and take. If you look at the consumption model uh, in three different ways, you've got you know new customers who are coming on, you've got existing customers and what is their expansion, uh, and you have existing customers churning and 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 going to zero. And so what we saw is we saw a, a fairly healthy increase actually in new customers and net additions, which again you can see in the customer count numbers. We did not see uh, any increase in customer churn, uh, but what we saw was the existing customers expanding and growing, but not as, as not as not at as quick a rate uh, as we have historically seen. And the reason for that is, as a as a leading modern general purpose database, when you've got a general purpose database, you've got broad sector, broad application, broad use case adoption. Uh, and as the com as, as the economy went through the you know global macro shock uh, that it went through, and the shutdown uh, took hold and started rippling through the economy, we saw a broad swath uh, of the of the customer base see lower usage. And the database isn't you know is, is, is like any other component you know of the software or whatever. And that um, in the cloud model, when you have less usage, uh, you will you you'll have less consumption and therefore, you know, less revenue. Um, we haven't seen, uh, and I haven't heard either anecdotally or, or quantitatively in the numbers, any systemic changes, any reason why um, when things, you know, are recovered or at a more normalized basis, why this shouldn't be anything more than a one-time impact. But it is an impact, and as we look out, our macroeconomic view is that things will be, um, rougher still in the second half of the year. Uh, and so, you know, we've reflected that appropriately in the guidance. Got it. And, and on that, that general purpose uh, comment, it, it almost seems to me you could flip it around as a, a, a pretty uh, nice positive in so much as, you know, historically your competitors have said that NoSQL document solutions like yours are fairly lightweight and aren't really made for uh, enterprise class workloads. But the fact that you're you're being impacted a little bit 
would sort of seem to indicate just the opposite, that you are in the most important workloads where there have been some slowdowns. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, and we try, you know, and, and shed light each quarter um, with the customer stories and the vignettes that we share that, that give some insight into, you know, the mission criticality. And obviously not every customer is comfortable with us, you know, describing their name, just you know, giving their name, describing their use case, or, or worse yet, describing the challenges they had perhaps with some of the legacy technology vendors, many of whom are still providing some work. It's not like someone's, you know, Oracle instance goes to zero, right? Uh, and so they're not looking to expose all of their uh, challenges. Uh, but no, you're, you're right. It's, it, it's a broad customer base. Um, we do very well with, with new workloads as the market continues to grow and as new applications continue to come online. That's part of what's driving the growth. But we're also seeing success uh, in relational migrations. And, and Michael, if you look at your sales pipeline today and compare it to a few years ago, are the starting points different in so much as the types of apps that people are either looking to build or, or transition uh, from legacy to, to Mongo? And are, are the customers, the sizes, the industries, et cetera, have, have there been changes there? I don't think there have been any big changes. Is, I mean, if I, if I take us back, you know, two and a half plus years ago, you know, at the time of the IPO, we talked about, you know, just over half of the Fortune 100 being customers already. So, so obviously, the, the user base has been fairly um, advanced, uh, fairly sophisticated and demanding, you know, customer base from, from early on. Uh, I think we've had success in continuing to penetrate the existing customer base as well as continuing to add, you know, new customers. Uh, and I do think for, for people who, who aren't steeped in databases and, and who, who don't know about it, there is sort of a, an assumption or, a, or an attempt, uh, or it is a temptation, to try and slice or look at the, the universe by workloads or use cases. You know, what use case are you really good in? Um, and I think that's partly where we're different in that we built a, a general purpose database, right? And so it's not just like, you know, we can train the sales force to go look for this one problem because this is what we solve, but kind of like the, the hammer that, you know, looks for every nail it can find. Uh, but instead, it's a broad, you know, based general purpose database, and that's what drives, um, you know, a lot of the success and a lot of the adoption, the fact that we are used across a broad range of industries. Got it, got it. And uh, on the sales front, I know Dave uh, on the earnings call talked about you know, the the deals that you don't get to see, and I know this may be difficult to answer, but any sense on, on you know what percent of opportunities are are passing you by not not because people are uncomfortable with you, but just because they don't know about you. Yeah, so um, I guess what I'd say is with a Salesforce that's measured in the hundreds versus the tens of thousands and that the opportunity would support, um, my guess is a pretty high percentage. Um, we, we shared on a, uh, not just most recent earning call, but I think the one before about, you know, our, our limited coverage, even in the U.S. relative to NFL cities and the U.S. is our, our most built out market. Uh, and so I think our, our footprint coverage is, is early, 
uh, and is thin. Uh, we've tried to, you know, generally drive awareness um, and are continuing to make progress on that front. We've been able to accelerate uh, and extend our reach uh, through the use of strategic partners, and whether that be the global cloud players, global SIs, or, or other folks, because there will be deals that they hear of or are involved in or relationships they have that, that we just don't have, given that we're just getting started out. Um, but it's, it's relatively, you know, early on, but we're, we're continuing to make progress as we build out, you know, the, the go-to-market footprint. Got it. And on the cloud side, I, I know Google is, is sort of the main cloud player that doesn't have a competitive offering. Does that lead to a unique relationship there and a, a, a deeper opportunity going forward? Yeah, so I think we've got great opportunities with all three of the major cloud players, you know, outside of China, uh, and then specifically in China with, with Alibaba and our partnership with them. Um, I do think that, you know, Google is probably, um, you know, they're, they're the least conflicted in the sense of they, they don't have a competing offering, and they've more explicitly, you know, said that you know, they want to partner on that basis and they want to lead with best and breed solutions. Um, you know, and that said, I'm sure you know, Amazon and, and Microsoft would, would prefer to get every dollar if they could, but I think they're also quite conscious of the fact of um, the popularity and success and relevance uh, of MongoDB to their customer base. And so they've you know, actively worked to partner with us uh, as well um, you know, because it, it helps both of our businesses. And, and can you remind us the different type of economic relationship you have with Alibaba and sort of the, the usage-based relationship there versus the the other hyperscale players? Yeah, sure. So um, it, it's slightly different given the regulations in China uh, and the fact that you know they make it um, not as as easy or straightforward for the the big three um, here to just go. Uh, for software there, so we, we can't uh, offer MongoDB as a service directly. So what we've done is we've partnered with Alibaba to build um, a MongoDB as a service offering. They, they had one previously, and we had to sort of educate them about our intellectual property rights uh, and make it clear that, that, that the intellectual property rights didn't uh, allow them to do that. Uh, and so they had a had a starting business, uh, which we then partnered with them last year, whereby they licensed our uh, software uh, effectively to, to bring their um, offering into compliance. So they now have a fully licensed managed offering that they're selling to their customer base. Uh, and as they grow uh, their customer base and as they grow their usage, uh, we benefit from that, you know, as well. So we've signed a multi-year deal with them. We're in the first year of the deal. Uh, the, it, it's proceeding uh, well uh, uh, so far, and, and, and both parties are pleased. Uh, and year one, we're tracking, you know, above the minimums. We've been very clear that from an overall perspective, it's not, you know, year one is, is, is not what this is about, and that's not material in terms of the impact, but it's a multi-year relationship. Uh, and collectively, like we're very excited about what we're able to build and, and where we're going forward. And I think, to me, the thing that's key is, you know, here's someone who um, previously had been using the software 
upon getting you know educated and, and spending some time with about the difference in our licensing model, understood you know the not just the value but the, the ownership of our intellectual property, um, and understood the value and popularity of MongoDB, uh, and placed enough value um, in that that they went ahead and effectively added a Cogs line item to their own PNL from a business that they're running uh, because they realized that together partnering uh, we could, you know, and by offering a, a certified, you know, authorized offering uh, that they thought that they could incrementally go pick up additional market share versus their in-market uh, competitors. Uh, so far, again, early on, but um, we've been pleased what we've seen and, and they've been great partners. Got it. And, you know, you alluded to the sort of the, the, the IP licensing. Uh, and I know you made some changes there probably about a year and a half ago, maybe longer at this point. I, I, am I correct to assume that that's pretty much noise? It, all that noise is behind you, not a big uh, point of discussion for customers anymore? Yeah, it, does, it doesn't, doesn't really come up. Um, I think, you know, from the beginning we were, you know, licensed under uh, AGPL, and then we moved that to, to SSPL. It was really very little difference between the two except making some of the compliance um, uh, responsibilities a little bit more explicit um, there you know it doesn't it doesn't really come up in customer conversations um, obviously we've seen uh, strong download activity um, and, and and actually probably an acceleration download activity as you can see in the reported numbers um, so certainly hasn't, you know, impeded any, you know, adoption or usage or things like that that we've been able to discern. Great. Uh, switching gears, if you think about the Atlas gross margin profile over time, uh, should we think about that in line with other cloud-based uh, infrastructure services? Um, I think it's a little bit different. Um, uh, in that there's sort of a more, you know, one-for-one uh, -one relationship, um, you know, in the sense of we, we haven't built our own data centers. Um, we're not going out and, and, and buying or over-provisioning, you know, capacity, you know, on spec. Uh, and at the, at the low end of the market, um, you know, a customer has the option of, you know, downloading the community server version themselves and hosting it. And so they have a fairly, you know, transparent understanding of what their storage and compute costs might be. Um, and so, you know, uh, I think that uh, I wouldn't categorically just look at other, um, other players. That said, I think you can see in our own numbers, um, you know, with Atlas now 42% of revenue and us being able to, you know, maintain healthy gross margins. Uh, I've been incredibly pleased as, as we've commented uh, over the last, you know, two years with our progress and execution on the gross margin, you know, um, plan for Atlas. Um, you know, we've, we've tracked, you know, in excess of, of where we expected to be. Um, if you told me at the time of the, the IPO that we'd have the margin profile we do today with Atlas at 42% of revenue, I would, I would not have believed that. Uh, and so I think we've performed well. I think there's more that we want to do. I, we have not bottomed, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call a trough yet, um, as we expect Atlas to continue to you know increase as a percentage of overall revenue uh, in general. But we've been we've been really really pleased with it. Got it. 
Over the last few years, you've done some opportunistic small uh, M&A. You're able to take take advantage of the current markets even earlier than most in in January and do a fairly sizable convert to augment the balance sheet. How should we think about uh, your desire or philosophy of putting that money to work for inorganic purposes? Yeah, inorganically... I think we we have done a couple opportunistic things. I expect we'll continue to remain opportunistic, but but I would I would match you know with the optimism with that opportunism, um, a a discipline, uh, and maybe that's like included in our definition of opportunistic. Um, and so I think that's just kind of how we how we think about it. We you know have a fairly ambitious product roadmap. Um, we know what we want to go do. Um, much of that is not easily done or accelerated or modular such that there's some sort of plug-in acquisition that makes sense. Uh, Realm is a good example of one that that did that, right? That it, it was able to accelerate a roadmap. We had mobile on the roadmap and to be able to take the leading mobile um, database and, and incorporate and integrate it into our efforts, I think has been you know, really additive. Um, I think in terms of the uh, investment, you know, outlook more broadly, you know, we've been quite uh, um, long-term oriented in the way that we've approached everything. Um, and I think that that's reflected in the fact that we called this out in the, in the earnings call, but clearly we have some COVID-19 related savings uh, as a result of, you know, dramatically reduced travel and, and things like that, um, rather than just sort of pocket all of those, we decided that, you know, we have an ambitious roadmap. We're seeing opportunistic um, situations present themselves in terms of the go-to-market side. Uh, And so we said, you know, let's redeploy these in two areas. Uh, First, digital marketing, uh, capitalizing, like I said, on the opportunity that we have, the fact that ad rates are down, you know, meaningfully, uh, and the fact that we, we have started to build uh, these self-serve muscles, which again show up already, you know, in the numbers and the customer accounts and things like that. Um, so we said we're going to incrementally invest there, uh, and we secondly have identified a lot of um, unusual talent uh, from an engineering, software engineering perspective that's sort of interested or available or on the market as firms go through displacement and startups and other places are are, are more disrupted. Um, we have an opportunity to pick up a little bit of talent. And so if we can incrementally do that uh, and get a jump start on our fiscal 22 R&D hiring uh, without, you know, uh, in a way where we're sort of redeploying the savings, that makes sense to us and helps us accelerate uh, our long-term you know, product roadmap and better position us for our fiscal 22 and beyond. Uh, and so we're looking to do, you know, things like that as well. Got it. Michael, about a year ago, you, uh, I think it was also at the user conference, uh, introduced your search product. Any update yeah. on where that stands from an adoption, adoption uh, standpoint? Yeah, so search uh, and Data Lake are both in beta. Um, we have our user conference um, that I mentioned is, is now a virtual event kicking off tomorrow where we're going to talk more about those. So I don't want to... I don't want to steal too much of Sahir and the rest of the team's thunder, um, but you know, I, I think that they they've been really good additions in terms of sort of st- extending 
the MongoDB value you know, promise to a developer about making data easier to work with. Uh, and I think Data Lake and Search uh, and some of the other things you're going to hear about um, are, are all oriented in that vein. Got it. Uh, from a market penetration standpoint, if you look at some of your most sophisticated, largest enterprise customers, are, do you even account for 5% of their spend on the database side? Yeah, so directionally what I'll say, and, and it's been a little bit of a while since I looked at this, but in, in general, if you look at sort of the, the top, you know, pick some number, 20, 25, you know, customers, whatever you want to, um, it would be the outlier customer where we are, you know, north of 5%. Um, most, you know, and, and we don't have perfect visibility at all, so, so obviously some of it's, it's, it's directional because we don't know exactly how much, you know, customer XYZ spends on, on database software. Um, but most most of those, are, we have a very small footprint uh, of their overall applications. There may be one, there may be, you know, a small number where we are, we have everything, right? So a customer that, that is using us for everything um, or almost everything. Um, that that wouldn't fit that, but but most would look more like you know the the, the sub five percent bucket. Got it. And and maybe wrapping up, uh, you know, obviously uh, your relationships with the hyperscale guys are, are are interesting in so much as that you know AWS and Azure have somewhat competing products. What do you hear most from customers why they choose Mongo over those solutions? Yeah, so I think specifically directly those, I, I think it's the product superiority. Um, you know, if we're talking about the direct sort of imitation competitor products that they've tried to come up with, um, by definition, uh, and almost sort of structurally, like they are inferior, right? They can't use our code against us, so they have to sort of imitate or mimic the look and feel. Uh, and that leads to both a, a definitionally lagged uh, product capability set, uh, as well as an inferior experience and poor compatibility. Um, but even over above that, I think the other thing that, that's quite top of mind for folks, um, and I think we're going to talk a fair amount about uh, at the user conference, but is, is broadening in people's minds, is multi-cloud, right? I, I think people are incredibly concerned uh, about getting, you know, locked into a single, you know, cloud provider, uh, and people understand how central and how sticky the database is, and so they're they're weary and leery of doing that. Excellent. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with? No, I think we have the highlights. Uh, thanks for the time and and, and questions, and um, we'll look forward to, uh, you know, hopefully seeing all of you in person at some point. Excellent. Thanks so much, uh, Michael, and everyone for joining us. All have a good afternoon. Take care, all. Thanks.